the New England Take in WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierset. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get back episodes of the show. And follow us on New, New England Take on Facebook and Twitter, posting all the episodes on demand as well as video versions of the show there. Today I'm joined by uh, Paul Kuno Booth. He's a reporter over at the Granite State News Collaborative. Get more from them at collaborativenh.org as well as tons of other New Hampshire outlets across the state. Uh, very similar uh, concept to uh, what New Hampshire Bulletin and Journal and such is doing. They're really doing a great job of sharing, uh, specifically with the Granite State News Collaborative, investigative journalism, which is something we're going to be talking about today. So how's it going, Paul? Good. How are you? Very good. Uh, so I, I came across your article this week on uh, covering traffic stops in the state and that there's some racial disparities when it comes to it with regards to how people decide who they're going to pull over and all sorts of implications with it. Uh, but let's start off with what made you begin investigating this subject? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I began looking into this uh, months ago because um, if you remember back in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, um, the governor uh, of New Hampshire formed this police reform commission to discuss you know, whether changes were needed. One topic that came up during those commission proceedings was this uh, question of pretextual stops, right? When police use traffic stops as a way to check out other suspicions about drivers, um, and so there were advocates saying, hey, we've seen, you know, state police do this um, on some interstates. We have concerns. Uh, state officials at the time kind of said, oh, we, we don't train troopers to do this. So I, I was interested in just, first of all, seeing if I could find additional cases um, where that had happened. Um, and, and I was able to find some cases, um, quite a few cases where that's going on. From a legality perspective, where is is there a line that uh, police are supposed to be following? Is it completely based off their training and kind of just up in the air based on the jurisdiction they're in? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so pretextual stops are totally legal, according to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, there, there's actually a ton of discretion when it comes to what police can do with um, when you're in a car. Um, essentially, with with, uh, with these pretextual stops, what happens is, you know, police will develop some kind of hunch about a driver, you know, maybe they look at them funny, whatever it is, um, they can follow that driver, wait for the driver to commit a, you know, to go five miles over the speed limit, um, commit some sort of minor lane violation, maybe the driver has uh, expired tags, whatever it is, right? Like all of us eventually break the law when we're driving a car, any of those violations uh, gives a police officer legal cause to pull you over. Now, most of us, I don't think, are pulled over for going a few miles over the speed limit. Um, but, you know, it it makes that possible. And then the police officer can use that to start asking questions. Hey, you know, where are you going? Where are you coming from? What are your plans? Who are you visiting there? Um, basically fishing for more information about their kind of hunch that has nothing to do with driving. Yeah, it leads to some uh, some very if you're cynical, some kind of funny uh, <laughs> reasons for police for people being pulled over. Like he was driving the speed limit. It's like the li libertarian Twitter has gone crazy o over this the last couple of yeah, weeks. I think yeah. partially because of your reporting. Well, it, it, exactly. It, it, reading these reports. Um, it's a strange experience because you have troopers saying things like exactly as you said in one case, you know, I was suspicious 
um, because he was trying to stay below the speed limit, which normally means you're obeying the law, but also allegedly is something criminals do to evade detection from law enforcement. Um, so there's did, others. So granny on her way to uh, the diner on Sunday. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, you know, there's other cases where uh, troopers uh, say, well, this driver had his hands at 10 and two on the wheel and was sitting rigidly. Uh, which is something that I now find myself doing sometimes. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people do. There are cases where, you know, the driver doesn't look at the cruiser as they pass. There's other cases where they look at the cruiser and then like shift their posture, um, you know, getting into some of the, the sort of cases that I think raise questions about bias, right? I mean, there's a case where a trooper followed a, a black man in his 20s for, for a number of miles, found a reason to pull him over. He said the thing that caught his attention about that car was that it was unusually clean for February. Um, so as so you can it see- just, It just makes people not trust them. It, it's like just on the face of it. It, may, yeah. it makes the general public read the, these cases where maybe- Maybe it was because of race. Maybe it wasn't because of race. But it's horrible public relations for police that are already being judged very harshly right now in the wake of George Floyd. I, I think that's a great point to raise. And, and actually, there are a number of judges in various orders that have said this reason the trooper gave, like hands at 10 and 2, for example, uh, doesn't hold water. There's nothing suspicious about that. Um and so, yeah, you have these judges issuing orders where they're um, sort of, you know, saying exactly what what you did, having the reaction libertarian Twitter has had, right? Um, and, and and sort of when you zoom out, and, and some of the research on this practice actually kind of gets to that question of trust and says, hey, when when you have these stops that drivers feel are very arbitrary, right? They feel like they're driving safely and then someone just pulls them over and starts asking them a bunch of questions. That does erode trust in law enforcement, um, especially when these stops are concentrated in, you know, disproportionately in communities of color. And what are we looking at when it comes to the numbers for for this racial disparity that we've been hearing the case for this for a long time? It, it's very hard probably to in many, many jurisdictions, either at the state or local level to, to ultimately determine because it, it depends a lot on. Uh, data that's been collected and such. I've had a bunch of conversations with Buzz Sher, who's a professor at the yeah. law school here in Concord, and now is on the police commission board over in Portsmouth. Good luck to the poor Portsmouth over there with that, but whatever. <laughs> but it's it, the data collection is inconsistent from wherever you are. That's absolutely right. Um, New Hampshire in general has just like a huge problem with collecting insufficient criminal justice data. Um, we have some data on vehicle stops, not as much as I'd like. Um, when it comes to the specific kind of drug interdiction unit of state police I've been looking at, we do have some data on their traffic stops. Um, about a third of those entries are missing race altogether. Um, so that alone is kind of an issue. Um, of the ones that do have race, uh, Black and Hispanic drivers do seem to be overrepresented, although you know it's sort of hard to do a one-to-one -one comparison to just like the residential population for various reasons. Um, the other thing I did find in that data is that um, Black and Latino drivers seem to be disproportionately pulled over for um, following too closely and for lane-related violations. These are things like, you know, moving about, you know, or, or kind of drifting over the lane line briefly. Um, and those are fairly minor infractions that come up a lot in the court cases I was finding of these pretextual stops. 
Um, so I know it's it's a bit in the weeds here, but um, you know the fact that black and Latino drivers were overrepresented in these infractions that also appear a lot in pretextual stops. You know, again, I think raises that question of of whether they're being disproportionately um, stopped for for this type of um, you know investigation. Are these individuals New Hampshire plate holders, or are they out of staters? Uh, so when it comes to the data um, more broadly, I, I don't have that information. Um, the court cases I do have sort of suggest that out-of-state plates is a common um, thing that troopers look for when they're doing this kind of um, pretextual stop. You know, they say Massachusetts is a drug source state, Connecticut is a drug source state, Maine is a drug destination. Um, so yeah, that again, that is another thing that complicates data analysis, right, is like, uh, how many of these are out of state drivers and so forth it's a very messy situation if you're if you're law enforcement in the situation we'll, we'll get back into the issues that come that come with this obviously but from the police officer's perspective if they're supposed to be stopping drug trafficking obviously it's going to be coming people coming in from out of state yeah. new hampshire's disproportionately extremely white compared to massachusetts florida and such where so many drugs enter the country so these individu individuals are more likely to to mostly in, just anecdotally from stories that i hear in the press is what i'm going off of is they're disproportionately going to be of a uh, non-white population of some sort uh and there could very well be tons of white individuals that are coming through, but if you're trying to pick someone that stands out from the crowd, it, it, it's difficult and unfortunately leads to some unsavory police practices. Yeah, I think this gets back to the whole question of this practice um, at its root, right? If you're sitting on the highway, scanning passing traffic, saying, who do I as a law enforcement officer find suspicious based on a handful of kind of general characteristics, out of state car, you know, driver maybe looks nervous. They're not going to say race, of course. Um, but what we know of implicit biases um, suggests that that's definitely that definitely can influence these kinds of decisions. Again, when you're not acting on more objective criteria, um, and there's a lot of research from other jurisdictions showing that's exactly what happens. Um, so that's kind of why you know a lot of um, scholars and advocates criticize this practice in general because it it ends up inevitably leading to some of those disparities whether or not it's intentional have you received any comment at all from uh police departments uh, john skippa's end of things from police development or anything like that with regards to this no not really um as i was working on these stories state police you know responded to some of my questions uh most of them they didn't uh they kind of you know said generally they you know they have a policy prohibiting biased policing. Um, they said they do implicit bias training and all that. Um, but again, you know, the, the critics of this kind of policy would say, look, even if you have a great policy that forbids, you know, explicitly targeting someone on the basis of race, again, when you're doing this kind of like acting on these vague hunches, implicit biases are going to, to sort of play a bigger role. And that's the core issue. You spoke to many advocates on the other side of this uh, when it comes to it. I mean, let's let's start off with um, what what are their takes on what's going on? It's like are they they basically saying that it's um, it, immoral and or illegal bias going on 100 percent or majority of the time or anything like that? 
That's a good question. Um, again, the question of legality is really tough because, you know, for the reasons I explained earlier, this practice is basically legal. It is illegal to target someone solely on the basis of race. But of course, if that's happening, police rarely admit it. And, and the question of implicit bias, you know, when an officer themselves might not even be aware of it, um, it's hard to, to nail that down certainly to prove it in a court of law right um but you know advocates generally say look uh we don't have great data the data we do have raises some questions some of these individual cases that i've talked about raise some questions um and again the research um, that's been done on this in in various states that do have better data um strongly indicates it this type of stop in particular leads to biases so that's why it's been a big concern here in new hampshire of, of some of those advocates are there calls for specific action from advocates that is more than just police are racist? It's just going because it's because ultimately that's been a big part of from a political perspective is politicians and uh, far left activists have just gone off the rails calling a cab and defund the police and everything, which which isn't productive ultimately in my opinion whatsoever. As libertarian as I am, I'm not I I I'm a strong supporter of the police generally speaking, but when it comes from policy or how to fix the problem, what sort of suggestions are you hearing from them? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, one is just uh, better data collection, right? This has been, a, as we were talking about, this has been an issue in New Hampshire for years. It came up a couple of years ago at the Police Reform Commission. There was a bill to uh, require more data collection last year that um, was essentially watered down. So um, one is just like collecting better data so that we can get a better handle on exactly what's going on. And by the way, so we can look specifically at, you know, does this specific department seem to have a bigger disparity or this specific um, unit within a police department? Um, so data collection is one. And the other is just, again, um, restricting the use of these pretextual stops. I think it's important to mention that some of the studies that have been done um, find that compared to normal traffic stops, like speeding, you know, running a red light, things that are clearly safety related, these pretextual stops show much bigger racial disparities. Um, so some of the, the kind of critics of this type of policy say, hey, one great way to reduce racial disparities in traffic stops is to use traffic stops for traffic safety, not for kind of random investigations of, of drivers. And as someone who grew up in rural Maine, I mean, that's the big reason why people are paranoid about the police is the random traffic stop. You don't know you're doing something Ill illegal or not illegal. You don't know if they you were going a little fast or if it, they're doing one of these pretextual stops, assuming that maybe you're doing something incorrect. And it, it makes people paranoid to drive, which obviously would have a safety implication. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, again, one thing that the researchers and, and advocates I spoke to said is like the experience of this type of stop is unsettling for exactly that reason. You don't know why you were stopped exactly. And the officer starts asking you things that have nothing to do with driving safety. So you're like, well, what are they looking for here? And, you know, I can only imagine, you know, if you're a person of color who maybe has previous negative experiences with the police or, you know, people who have um, you're going to be all the more um, nervous in that situation, right? So it can be a very kind of stressful experience. Yeah, and it works both ways. I mean, ordinarily, people, when they interact with people that look and act like them, they're going to, generally speaking, be more comfortable. If you're in a situation where you believe a police officer's pulled you over because you look different, 
that individual is going to be very paranoid that um, this person is specifically picking me out because this is someone of authority and, and power over you when you're pulled over. I mean, as I, I'm very much not on the left, generally speaking, but when it comes to civil liberties of being randomly pulled over, it's it, 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 there's implications regardless of your party affiliation. Yeah, and it, it can create, as you were saying, a tense situation on, on both sides, right? The law enforcement officer doesn't know what they're getting into. Yeah. The uh, civilian doesn't know. And, um, you know, the New York Times has done some great reporting on, you know, the many uh, civilian deaths um, during traffic stops over the past several years. And I think a lot of that comes from this sort of uncertainty and heightened sense of danger. Um, and, and you know, that can be, you know, maybe even more so in these pretextual stops where, where there's less clarity on what exactly is going on. And there's liability risk for the police officer. How many cops have been hit on the side of the road because they got to pull it, they're pulling someone over and then it ends up just being for basically no reason or for something that was ultimately illegal for them to do in the first place. But, yeah. So, eh, I don't know. Well, it was something we'll be continuing to follow. I mean, uh, what's the future for this? Are you done reporting on this for now or just keeping a general eye on it? Uh, I'm definitely not done reporting on it. Um, you know, this state police unit um, that that's kind of known for doing these stops in Rockingham County, um, they've had some uh, questions about them for a while now. There's a particular trooper who belonged to that unit who was recently fired for misconduct. So I'm I'm continuing to follow his case and sort of see what what turns up in that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really going to take some. Once again, the data collection is going to be huge. Once again, something Buzz Sure has said extensively and has called on the state government to to continue to investigate. Have you heard much coming from Concord when it comes to uh, state level pushing for anything on this? You know, that's something I haven't really reported out yet, but it's definitely on the list. You know, why why have these efforts continued to fail and and is there any new push for it? Um, the last I saw, you know, I said there was this previous bill that got watered down last year from a requirement to a study committee. I looked up the study committee's result. It recommended further study. So that's kind of where we <laughs> Welcome to government. There you go. It goes in a circle. And it's unfortunate that so much of the, the, the dry, the energy around the LEACT commission kind of fizzled out in, in recent months, uh, probably partially because of the craziness when it came to other things going on in the world and businesses able to open up and people to kind of no longer stuck at home focused on whatever they're doing on their uh, out of their house to actually continuing life as normal but we still have these issues that we got to delve into yeah there's a lot to pay attention to so um you know it's uh it's understandable but uh try just trying to kind of keep um keep these things out there in the discussion i think they're um they're important to think about so if people want to follow what you're doing paul what should they do um, well, they can, uh, as you were saying, read the Granite State News Collaborative's articles. Those are um, published in a number of uh, news outlets around the state. Um, they can also follow me on Twitter at Paul Kuno Booth. Um, and uh, of course, if they have any, you know, thoughts on this issue or uh, experiences that they'd like to share, anything like that, they can definitely reach out to me, you know, via Twitter or via my website. Thank you so much for joining me, Paul. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Paul Kuno Booth, reporter over at the Granite State News Collaborative, collaborativenh.org, if you want to learn more about what the collaborative is doing and follow all their articles and all the, the big news outlets here in the state. I'll put the uh, couple of articles that we're discussing in today's episode on the website nhtalkradio.com where you'll be able to check this out on demand. So I've been posting uh, Tuesday mornings if you want to get the video version and uh, links to the articles. You're listening to the New England Take on WKXL. We'll be right back after this.